Hey, Stephanie Goss, you got a second to talk about guardian vets? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Man, I uh, I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Yes. Um, and I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vet. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch and uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend. Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about Guardian Vets a lot on the podcast. And every time we do, we always get somebody who says, what is that? Guys, if you're not familiar with Guardian Vets, if you think that you could use some help on the uh, on the phones or up at the front desk, check them out. It's guardianvets.com. And uh, if you mention our podcast, me and Stephanie Goss, uh, you get a month free. So check it out, guardianvets.com. Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Andy and I are answering a question that he got sent about playing nice with your competition. It is from a manager who lives in a small town rural environment and is wondering what the benefits are of getting to know the other managers in the area. The doctors involved in their practice, the other practices don't seem to get along, don't seem to care, don't seem to want to get along. And they are looking at it from a different perspective and wondering, is there a point to playing nice with our competition? Are there benefits if I work together? Because I kind of like the manager at this other practice over here and I would like to get together and pick their brain about some things. How do I go about doing this? I'm going to tell you, this is an episode where I get really excited because <laughs> this is my jam and I can't wait to talk about this. So let's get into it. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy, working Stephanie, fight like a title holder, Goss. That's a song. It's punk. I've been listening to a lot of punk rock music recently. <laughs> I'm, I, it's, um, I have just been feeling like an anarchist recently. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I listen to, I listen to rancid radio on, oh, uh, Amazon music. Stop it. And I, no, I'm serious. I missed, I, I missed a trick when I was young. I should have been <laughs> into punk music. I love it. I love it. The mental image I have in my head right now of Andy Rourke as a punk is, amazing it it is a job for jen galvin's uh photoshopping skills because it is an amazing mental picture i need to just enjoy this for a second like blue mohawk and like a big <laughs> like a thick nose ring oh, like i was a imagining big ring. a nose ring i was imagining some eyeliner uh, black rip clothes safety pins like oh oh, oh it is a I, good mental picture i could have done like i'm serious like and there is there is a pathway in my life like i didn't i like, it was it was a door never opened to me. Like my parents never showed me that door, and I did, and I didn't have punk rock friends. I think I was I think I was ten years too late for punk rock. Right, like I hit high school in nineteen ninety one, and I think if I had hit high school in nineteen eighty one, I could have I would have been counterculture. I think. <laughs> 
I, can't, uh, the I band can't. 311 was just blowing up and I saw a show they did in this like little, con- is this little community center and there was a mosh pit and it was so great. I was like, I've never done this before, but oh. I really enjoy it. Um, oh my it could have been, a, I, I can, I can see through the multiverse. There, there is a, there is a, not, this talk, there is so a Dr. punk Andy, Andy Rourke. Rourke. So I'm still punk rock veterinarian because I don't see that changing. <laughs> <laughs> so like I've got a chihuahua that also has a mohawk. Uh I would get a Chinese crested oh, with a mohawk stop. just to oh like stick it to the man. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. Uh add that to the pile of facts that I did not know about Andy Rourke. Yeah. Um, this is a mental picture that I'm I'm quite enjoying this. Thank you for starting off the afternoon oh, like I, that. I discovered the band No FX. Uh, I'm not gonna sell I'm not gonna sing you anything. Uh, sing, I know I, like, I I actually know No FX. Okay. Yeah. All that, right. was, that was a new discovery for me. I was like, this is this okay. is music I was unaware of. Okay. I, I kind of like it. I kind of I like think it. I that's a what lot. I'm going to do with my 50s. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've got a couple of years before I get there. I think when I turn 50, it's going to be like, I'm starting over. Explore. Leather and chains. That's so funny. No, okay, so now I now I have to know, like, what was the musical choices of Andy Rourke, the teenager? Like, the actual high schooler? Like, if you weren't listening to NoFX back then, like, what were you listening to in the 90s? Oh, man. Oh, I, so I... Uh, my probably my favorite band in high school was Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. The album, the album Blood Sugar Sex uh-huh. Magic came out. Like yeah. one of the best albums ever. I, uh-huh. I love it. Which is why I can also say I can 100% see punk rock Andy Rourke, given how much I enjoyed Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay, like, were you allowed to actually have the CD or did you have to get it in secret? Because your parents oh, wouldn't no, want I, I, Well, I, I had an underground pipeline <laughs> of, <laughs> of music. I listened to a lot of gangster rap. Like I was uh-huh. NWA, Ice Cube. Like I had all of that stuff. Yeah. And exactly right like i'm like uh punk rock actually punk rock might have been a better fit for me uh, but, but, but we went with the nw and ice cube and like i had a great time and enjoyed it okay okay so anyway yeah I, that was it i like it i like it a lot <laughs> who knows maybe maybe if i get to go around the world again i'll uh i'll, I'll go a different direction next time I like the I like the multiverse punk andy rourke like yeah. that is a mental picture that's not going to leave me anytime soon i like no, it that's good all right. <laughs> All right. What are we? What well, are, speaking of speaking of high school, uh, we we here? actually we got a, a great uh, message um, from someone who is a manager, um, and they are a manager in kind of a rural or more remote area, um, and they've had a lot of practices in their area who have had uh, transition. You know, it was kind of all of the vets who were getting older, um, and been in practice a long time and now all of a sudden there's a lot of uh young whippersnapper vets buying the practices and or corporate practices that have come into the area and so the doctors have some animosity between clinics there's not really like a friendly vibe in the area that the clinics get along um and there are managers in these clinics who have not been a part of any of that drama um and who are looking at how can we connect with each other how can we um, how can we work together and and have relationships, good, healthy relationships with our competitors? <gasps> Gosh, gasp, right? Like how do we yeah. how do we have relationships, um particularly in a small town environment uh, that are good? how do we how do we play nice? but also, um, it asked a bigger question of like what's 
it, what's the point? Because that was one of the questions that, that their owner doctor asked. What's the point of playing nice with our competition? Um, and I just thought this was such a great, fun question. And I have some ideas having been uh, come up as baby manager in a rural environment like that. So I have some thoughts, but I thought you would have some thoughts some thoughts on this as well yeah no no definitely yeah definitely i think um i think the questions of so this this is an old school problem right like i've been hearing about this for a long time about <laughs> our competitors i yeah. don't get i don't get the feeling that this is much of a thing with the new school owners and managers right i i think i think I think it was much more when there used to be like single vet practices. And I think when there were sort of smaller towns or when there was overlapping call areas, I feel like there was a lot more competition. Sure. I feel like now, I mean, the truth is, like, if you're the if you're the practice manager at Banfield, do you have animosity for the practice manager at NVA? eight miles away you shouldn't that's ridiculous you know like the impact that person has on you is nothing but they have a lot of shared experiences with you and other people don't have those right Right. being a practice manager is a lonely job because there's not a lot there's no one else in the hospital generally that has the same experience you have right and so there's a lot of benefits to being able to say hey friend of mine who kind of generally knows what I do for a living in my job. Sure. I really appreciate you to validate the scenery or possibly give some advice to me, or we're out of an item that we need. Yes. And we're shorthand, you know, we're gonna, <laughs> and it's going to be three days before we get it. Can you cover? Yes. And so for me, I, anyway, I, I think, I think a lot of, like a, a lot of sort of new school owners, especially people in corporate practices, I, I I don't know that that animosity exists, but it definitely does in the, in the old school crowd. It was kind of, I've always thought it was ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous in the old school crowd. I, I'll tell you just from a headspace standpoint, the first thing is like, who's your competition? Yes. And people would say, oh, the guy down the road. And I would say, no, it's, it's inactivity on the part of the pet owners. That's your competition. Your competition is not, I'm, it's not, I'm not going to get to see this pet because they're going to go to someone else like no you're not going to see that pet because that person's not going to get off the couch and bring their cat to the vet that's Mm -hmm. why you don't see pets yep and so when you look at it like that you say the the what i lose to another veterinary clinic is just so tiny compared to the pet owners not bringing their pets in uh us not booking recheck appointments us not scheduling follow-ups us not working up cases like there's so many other factors that are holding you back from practicing the medicine that you want to practice that the the guy down the road is such a tiny tiny piece of of any sort of of obstacle you have but it's so funny because i think about um i think about it and i think about almost really every practice that i ever worked in um even the ones that ultimately had great relationships with our with our peers in the area like there has always been this mentality since I started in veterinary medicine to to a degree. And I, I agree with you. Like, I think uh, it was much more, uh, I think it was much more strongly expressed by the old school crowd. Because uh, I remember starting in veterinary medicine where it was just like, you know, it, it was all about everybody else's our competition and you're spot on like if we if we zoomed out for even back then if we zoomed out for a hot second and looked at it they were not actually our competition (laughs) they had a different culture a different you know a different clientele like there it was not competition but that 
outwardly was definitely expressed by leadership in veterinary medicine much more prevalently than I think that it is now. And I would argue with you, like, I think even now there is, I I talk about it with managers all the time, where there is this single-sided view of other practices as our direct competitors. And when you start asking questions, um, as, as I do, uh, I'm like, tell, tell me, like, tell me what their practice is like. They're not actually competition. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think yeah. if we zoom out, most of us could probably count on one finger the number of competition in a in a, a true competition that we have in our in our little practice radius, right? But most of us have other practices and even if they're completely radically polar opposites of us as a practice, we there is still this prevalent thought in veterinary medicine that everybody else who is a colleague is competition. Yeah. Yeah, so I I I get it. I, I get it. I, I still I I understand. I still don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm just I, I, I understand. I think there, there's two things that traditionally have led us to have um, practices that, that see each other as competitors and we don't talk to them and we don't talk about them and we don't work with them. Whatever. So so there is, uh, there's scarcity. Or we talk about them and it's all negative. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's scar- scarcity mentality, yeah. right? So a little behavioral psychology. Yep. Um, it's the idea that winter is going to come and I'm not going to have stored up enough food and I'm going to die of famine. Yes. Like that is the caveman mindset. Yeah. And so it's scarcity mentality. You see someone else who's doing the thing that you're doing and you say, oh my gosh, what if I don't get enough? to support myself and you know and I starve to death right and that's that scarcity mentality which you can see from an evolutionary standpoint sure having those thoughts is probably motivating for you to get out and work hard to harvest the fields right <laughs> you know what I mean so that you and your family can live on and you know make more babies and stay alive and right. do the evolutionary thing that you're trying to do like I get that so that's scarcity mentality the other the other one is zero-sum thinking and a lot of people look at the world as um if you take something, if you get something, that means that I lost something right. or the potential for something. Yep. If you get ahead, it, it means that it, I somehow got farther behind. Mm-hmm. And that, that's even just all the way to keeping up with the Joneses. I know some people who will be like, oh, you moved into a bigger house. Now I feel offended right. because in order to keep up with you, I have to move into a bigger house. And you go, right. Golly, that's a weird construct that only exists in your mind. Right. But but here we are. Right. And so that 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 zero sum thinking, if the other vet practice down the road gets something, does something, succeeds in some way, then I'm falling behind. And I'm saying you're falling behind in a game that only exists in your mind. It's not real. Yeah. yeah. I in so, Oh, go ahead. No, so that that's kind of those are, those are I think are, the, are sort of the traditional drivers of why this division has existed. Yeah, I think I think you you for for me and my own personal experiences in working with practice owners, uh, the practice owners that I have, like this this both of those things, scarcity mentality and the abundance mentality, like those two those two things put your finger right on why they were thinking the way that they were, right? It's like if this client, this client doesn't come see us and they go see, uh, you know, the team down the street, then we're not going to be able to make payroll 
right? Yeah. <laughs> like there's the reality yeah. is that client better not be the only thing standing between us and not making yeah. payroll, right? Exactly right. Like yeah. That exactly. should not be how we're running our businesses. But that's how we let ourselves, that's how we let ourselves think. And I think the reason that I loved this question, and like for me, the question was, what is the point of playing nice with our competition? Yeah. And I, I think that for me, I'm super, I'm super pumped because to me, the point is there are so many more benefits to having relationships and having a community in veterinary medicine than there are um, real potential losses uh, when it comes to our clients or to our 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 standard of care or who we who we are as a clinic, right? Like your point, really, the scarcity mentality comes doesn't most most of the time doesn't happen like that's not how life actually works right like most of us are not running our businesses on that razor edge where that one client or even 10 clients that go see our competition make or break us as a practice but the things that come from having a community and having collaboration the all of those benefits those actually can make or break us as a as a practice and so i i'm like i'm super excited to talk about it from a from a headspace perspective because the benefits to me far outweigh the risks here um and i think that's what i would lean into in terms of trying to explain or get my boss who might not be on board on board with what those would be is to lean into the benefits <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I think that, that I think that's really it. I, I think um, it's a cost benefit analysis, right? So you say, well, what is the cost of collaborating? And we said, do you believe in zero sum thinking? Do you believe in a scarcity mentality? Do you think that you're being hurt by this person doing doing this work? And I, I, it's even more kind of eye rolling to me right now is because and I know this is regional. So many practices are going to say most, but so many practices are as busy as they can be yes. or as busy as they want to be. They have now, clients coming I, out their ears. <laughs> exactly. And I can 100% empathize with people who are uh, wary of their quote unquote competitor when there's not much work to do, when, you know, when when things are slim uh, as far as as far as staying busy, I would say, oh, boy, having those having a client or two, you know, every week go down the road that 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 does kind of hurt when we're really trying to hang on and have enough to do. I just don't see that as people's reality today. Well, and I think that goes back to the point you made earlier about like the the older the older school, the older generation. And I think there there is validity there. And I think part of the reason of that is think back to when you and I started in veterinary medicine, our, the majority of our patients now are members of the family, right? And they're getting yeah. care in ways that they never did when, when we started, when we started in veterinary. I mean, I remember starting in veterinary medicine, our family dogs didn't Li- they didn't live in the house. We had backyard like the dogs lived in the backyard. And now, like, I mean, my my mom, my mom's dogs shared the bed and sleep under the covers. And like the yeah. the shift in the last 20 years in veterinary medicine has been great. And so I remember starting in veterinary medicine almost 20 years ago. And 
there were plenty of days where the phone didn't ring and we didn't have clients coming in because we saw a lot of, you know, backyard pets and we saw a lot of farm animals. And so we were seeing emergency cases and, you know, abscesses and we see all of that now. But like, it was really, really different because the relationship that we had with our with our pets um, and with animals as a as a society was radically different even just 20 years ago. And so I think about I think about why that might be prevalent in that older school generationally. And I think that that's part of it because we experienced those droughts from a business perspective um, and not having clients come in the door. And so there were plenty of times where those clients leaving could have made the difference between being able to pay payroll or, or not. But I think I said it and I didn't mean to say it in jest because I think the point is now for most, to your point, most practices are in a place where we're booked weeks out. We can't get yeah. the clients all in the door. And so that that environment doesn't exist now for most practices the way that it did uh, back then. I agree with that. I'll also say this and I can say it because I'm a vet uh, and I love veterinarians and you guys know I love veterinarians. <laughs> veterinarians traditionally are some of the cheapest people <laughs> that I've ever met in my life. And I, I am in it. I am also, Stephanie Goss is laughing because I also have a frugal streak. And a mile wide. A mile wide, perhaps. <laughs> but I am a veterinarian to my bones. And like, we are some cheap ass people. Like, and I get it, right? Because you come up and you're like, it's we got to make it work. the only way you survive vet school is being cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and like, did you have an ultrasound machine? No, I just listened with my ear. You know, like, hey, ultrasound machine. Like, like, I met who were like, you use a needle one time, pansy, you know, like back in, back in my day, we, 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 we shaved metal off the surgical table and used it for scalpel blades. We wore, we wore a barrel with straps. That was our surgical scrope that we wore, you know, like. It was, uh, it's like, it's like every veterinarian I know it lived through the great depression in their mind, Uh but like, okay, I, I love, I love it. But that is our people. Like we're traditional people, which means the idea of, of people, of someone going somewhere else and us not getting that $32 for a physical exam from 1981, that that's hard to bear, Right. you know? It matters. Yeah. No, I, (laughs) I agree with that. So, okay. So. Um, I want to, I want to move us a little, I want to move us a little bit from headspace. You want to talk more about, let's talk about some other money saving steps that we could take in the No, I don't. I want (laughs) to, but I want to talk about uh, benefits. The benefits of collaboration is part of the headspace, but it's also part of the action here. So like, how, how do we get to doing this? And I want to talk about that because this is like, this is my heart. This is my jam. Um, I I love collaboration. It's part of what I love about Uncharted, but I have loved it from the very beginning. And I think I so for me, the headspace piece of it and the advice for these managers is like, okay, you may not ever be able to get your practice owners on board because they may be the, the veterinarians Andy was talking about who were like, I wore a barrel for, for my surgical scrubs, right? Like they may not get it do they have to? And, and I, uh, the answer for me is a resounding no, like I can still create a community and I can still drive those relationships independent of what they think and are, and are doing. And there is very much a benefit to doing that because I will tell you the community, my local 
community, forging those relationships with the other practices in my area has saved my butt more times than I can count. <laughs> okay. So let's 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 take a break here. Let's okay. take a break here. And then we come back. What I want to do is I want to talk about, okay. Joking aside, how do we articulate the desire to work collaboratively with other practices to uh, to our higher-ups? Okay. And then, regardless of whether or not they go with it, what does that mean for us as individuals? Because uh, we have, uh, we can do what we want with our lives when we're not clocked in, and uh, we can talk about we can talk about that and what that looks like. Okay. And I love it. What's 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 inbounds and what's out of bounds? So let's take a break and we'll come back. Okay. Hey friends, it's Stephanie, and I'm jumping in here for one quick second because there's a workshop coming up and it is one of the last ones for this year of 2022. And I wanna make sure that you don't miss it because it is coming to you from my dear friend, Maggie Brownbury. Maggie is a former emergency veterinarian who lives in Newfoundland, Canada. And a few years ago, uh, Maggie made the decision to make a change and she moved out of ER medicine into being a relief veterinarian. And I remember Maggie telling us uh, within weeks of opening up her schedule, her whole first year was booked. And so uh, we asked Maggie to come and do a workshop for how to get the most out of the relationships that you build as a, as a practice with your relief veterinarians. Because more and more practices as we face the veterinarian shortage are struggling with needing to have relief doctors on their schedule, maybe more regularly than we would have previously. And um, Maggie's got some great ideas after working with a ton of different practices on how you can leverage that relationship and set yourself up for success, set your relief veterinarian up for success and set your clients up for success. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to unchartedvet.com forward slash events and find all of the information about the workshop and how to sign up. I hope to see you there. And now back to the podcast. All right. So let's let's talk about communicating this up the chain, right? Yeah. So we're we're in a vet practice and uh, we are interested in having a more collaborative relationship with the enemy, yeah. the competitor <laughs> down the road. <laughs> I, basically, it, it's simple cost benefit analysis is is generally a pretty solid way to go here. The question you're going to get is why? Why would we collaborate with them? And I think you should just honor that question for what it's worth and say, well, what are the benefits of us uh, talking to these people? I think the idea that there are drawbacks is pretty, pretty hard. And I think that as we're so busy, I think there's even less uh, room for people to be like, oh, but think about how we're going to get hurt. I, I think I think you need to think about what do you want what is the benefits of of having this open relationship? I would tell you just as a general philosophy, and then we'll get into some specifics. Guys, I I look at um I look at the workload the vets have. I look at the labor shortage, and I don't see it going away. I, I don't see it going away. Now, pet owner spending habits might change, and there's some interesting data about that, and we can talk about sure. that. But for the most part, there's no magical surplus of veterinarians that are going to get dumped out into the profession anytime soon or certified vet techs or honestly, there's no reason to think that that hiring is going to get significantly easier in the short term. Yeah. And so we, we've we got our hands full and the work is not going to stop. And so really well, the way I look at it is us as veterinary professionals all in this together, 
trying to meet the needs of our society for pet health care. Yep. And like, that's how I look at the world. And you know what, guys? I like that view. Yes. I like to believe that we're all in this together. Yes. I like to believe that everyone listening to this podcast, we're on the same team and I care about you. I really do. And I want you to be successful and I want us to be successful. And I want us to come together and take care of the pets and the patients that we see, or the pets and the people that we see. And I just tend to look at our profession as us doing good in the world and I, I like to minimize us sniping uh, between each other and just say, hey, we're all in this together. Let's be in this together. And so that's philosophically, that's where I like to start. And and I think I, I love that because um, the reality is we're not we're not competitors. And so if we if we let go of that scarcity mentality and we start from a place, what are the benefits? We start from that place. Um, first thing, what happens when you do run out of rabies vaccine? What do you mm-hmm. call, right? There's the just the pure benefit of being able to say, hey, help me out. I'm in this spot, right? And that has has saved me more times than I can count is, uh, you know, what, whatever it is from, from our, I, I have even gone to another practice and borrowed their um, digital dental x-ray probe because a patient bit down on ours and it was going to be six weeks before we get the new one, right? Like that is some serious mojo. Could you imagine not doing dentals for six weeks is our current caseload? But that practice was like, well, we only do we only do surgery two days a week. So the other three days a week, like you guys are welcome to use it. Obviously, if anything happens, like we would have we would take care of it and pay for it. But yeah. Um, we we kept being able to do dentals for six weeks while we waited for our new probe. So that like in and of itself, number one is a is a huge, huge benefit. Um, but the other piece from a, from the competition perspective, which you brought up, Andy, I think is really important is that we're not going to be the right fit for all people. And so let yeah. me tell you how awesome it is to be able to refer needs that clients have that I can't meet to other yeah. places and be able to give them a name and a number and say, you should call over here and see what they can do for you. Whether it's they offer procedures that we don't, they have an ultrasound machine and we don't, or it's just a matter of, I have a client who is particularly cash strapped and they're looking for a vaccine clinic environment. If that's not something that I offer, but it's something that another clinic in town offers, why would I not tell them that that's the option for them, right? And help them get care for their pet if I can't provide it or if it it doesn't meet our needs as a clinic and who we are. Why are we thinking about it from a competition perspective and not thinking about it from the perspective of let's help this client get what they need or let's help this patient get what they need? Well, the future of vet medicine is fragmentation. Like that's what I believe. I believe that the days of us all doing basically the same thing in our, each of our practices, those days are over, friends. Like that means we're going to have um, high-end, white glove, uh, expensive practices. We're going to have specialty practices. We're going to have emergency practices. We're going to have middle of the road practices. We are going to have um, we are going to have um, middle of the road high communication practices, and we're going to have middle middle of the road convenience-based practices that get people in and out and turned around and are super flexible. We're going to have low-cost spay and neuter clinics. We're going to have just low-cost clinics that that focus on accessibility, access to care, things like that. We're going to have mobile vets. We're going to have house call vets. We're going to have hospice vets. We're going to have ultrasound. We're going to have acupuncture, holistic veterinarians. Like, 
everybody's doing different things. And I think that's going to continue. I think it's really interesting. I'm excited about it. But if you think that this is fragmentation is true and that practices really are segregating out into different areas and moving into different niches, then it just opens up the idea of, hey, we should communicate because we're doing different things. Yeah. Uh, it opens up that more and further reduces that feeling that we're competing. And mm -hmm. so I, I really like what you're saying. Oh, we had a practice... Um, down the road from ours, and it was a one vet practice, and they were very much focused on accessibility and affordability mm -hmm. of care. Mm -hmm. And their doctor went on vacation one time, and the relief vet fell through somehow. And I, I don't know how that happened. It was, it was never made clear, never made clear to me how it happened. <laughs> but hey, just there was no relief vet. Sure. There was no relief vet. And so that, that person went on vacation and told the front desk to send them down the road. Uh -huh. And and they started sending their clients to us. And we got more one-star reviews that week than we had gotten in 20 years. Yeah. Right? And it's because those were not our people. Right. They were not, it was not our clients. They right. were not looking for what we were doing. I'm not bashing them. Right. And, you know, they were bashing us. I'm not bashing them. We just did not provide the service that they wanted at the price that they wanted. Yep. But our clients who come to us were very, very happy with what we do and how we do it. Right. And it's just, it just, that is the thing in my life where I really crystallized in my head. These people were very happy with their vet, and these are not our clients, and we don't want these clients. Yeah. And it's not bashing them. It's just they don't want what we're selling, and they don't want what we're doing. And and I think the honesty about that is is really great. So um, my practice, when I first moved to Washington, a really small town, and um, there's our practice, which is a large multi-site practice. And there's another one doctor practice in town. And it's an, an older um, school veterinarian, small practice. Like you said, they are focused on convenience and cost for the clients. So mm -hmm. two radically different models. But that doctor didn't do surgery. And so their, their uh, process was to refer their surgical patients to us. But unlike you, the conversation that they then had with their clients was, I don't do surgery because there is a time and cost associated with all of this. And so when you go over there, you're not going to pay my prices. You're going to pay because they have surgeons on staff and this is what they do. Um, and so the clients were still sometimes you have that very different, very different models. And there were still clients that were displeased. But by and large, the majority of the clients who came over were prepared for that. And they were willing to to do it because there was a collaboration between the two clinics. And that's the kind of example, like we didn't, their clients weren't our kind of clients. And if they were like, hey, we really had a great experience here, we would have some some questions for them about whether we wanted to continue, whether it was a good fit to continue the relationship or not. Right. Um, but it was really, really nice to be able to know that we could provide that service and not have a veterinarian who had clearly defined boundaries and was like, I don't I don't want to do surgery, not right. have to feel like they have to be all things to all people because we could work together. And that for yeah. me, like that is a perfect example of like why this can be a huge benefit because it allows you to do the things that you want to do and also lean into not having to do the things that you don't necessarily want to do because uh, there usually are people out there who want to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. And so if you buy into that, 
you start to see the benefits of of sort of having these having these connections, right? So the big things for me, there's there's too much work to do. I'm starting to push for referral to other GPs, and people are like, "That's heresy!" And yep. it is heresy. It is the sacred cow. We've talked about this before <laughs> on this podcast a number of times. But like, look, man, if yeah. you've got, I'm, I've noticed I'm starting to say "look, man" a lot. And like, look, man. Uh, like, it's like, are you leaning into your '90s punk? I guess so. I, anyway, look, man, if. Uh, if you have more work than you can do and people are getting angry that they can't get in to see you, it makes sense to refer clients yes. away. It does. Yes. Now, I would start with I'd start by not taking new clients. If you're if you haven't done that yet, that's the easy thing is try to retain and service your current clients, uh, but don't send send new clients away. But referring to other practices, like we're not taking new clients, we're not unable to get people in. Um, if you need to get in sooner, here are two other practices that are nearby that we recommend and send them to practices that you would recommend, you know, and just, again, it's that scarcity mentality of, I can't send work away. I was like, you can't get all of your work done. Uh, you, you know, you're going to burn yourself and your people out at some point. You say, I've got all the business that I can do and I'm going to take good care of the people that I have coming in. And then I'm going to send the other people away and I'm not going to lay awake at night. I'm not going to feel guilty or angry about it. I am going to take care of the people that I'm going to take care of. And people say, but you know, we're not as profitable as we need to be. And I would say, you cannot do any more work. Right. And if you're not as profitable as you need to be, you need to figure out how to cut your costs or increase your prices. And those are the only two options, or you know, yeah. or increase your efficiency. But a lot of people have pushed their efficiency as far as they can. At some point, just wanting to see more patients doesn't make it possible. Yeah. And I think um, for the other piece of this, and and I'll be honest, like having... I was really lucky to have exposure to this collaborative environment in private practice from the very beginning of my career in veterinary medicine. But I'll also say that my belief in collaboration got even stronger when I worked in corporate practice because now I had the benefit of a built-in community that private practices don't have. I had Mm -hmm. the ability to call my sister clinic, you know, eight miles down the road and be like, hey, we're really shorthanded today. Can you guys spare anybody? Can you send them over? Can you send them over? Right. And that was a that was a game changer. And so for me, it made me think a lot about the relationships that I forged early on in private practice and how as we grow and as veterinary medicine changes and as we continue to have more clients than we can handle and not enough staff, like that is not something that's going away anytime soon. The ability to band together as small groups of practices, whether we're independent private practices or corporate practices, is really, really powerful to be able to say, hey, I need hey, I need help here, whether it's borrowing equipment or borrowing team members or, you know, we, we've talked about this, I think, and I've told this story on the podcast, but, you know, I had somebody that I interviewed and I really, really liked them. They were not a fit for my clinic mm-hmm. and my team, but I thought they were a great candidate. And so you want to talk about heresy. I called up another manager and I said, hey, I interviewed this person today. They are not a fit for our team, but I think they might be a really good fit for your practice. Can I send them over to you? You know, it was another independent practice. There was no no connection. It just was a manager that I knew from my local managers group, which is why I, I think this important. This topic is so important. And I called them up and I said, hey, would you like to interview them? And that person um they hired that person and they stayed, they are still at that practice years later. Um, and that it felt so good. It felt good to help out a colleague, but it also, it really like, it just, it was such a change, a game changing experience for me because I got to help another practice, but it was the first time 
I felt like in private practice where it didn't feel like every man for himself. Yeah. You know, the last point that I want to make on this as far as collaboration between practices, collaboration at a high level is, one of the critical takeaways that people need to remember is you have got to build the bridge before you can walk on it, which means you cannot wait until your dental uh, radiograph pro breaks to make a friend. Right. That's not going to <laughs> not going to work out well for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. You need to have that relationship in place. Right. And so when the practice owner says, why should we talk to these people? And you say, because one time Stephanie Goss did a radiograph probe broke. And, and he's like, but our radiograph probe is not broken. You could say, but, but if we don't have that come. relationship when it happens, we're going to be out of luck. And so you have to, and I just, that's a, a phrase I've used for a long time is you have to build the bridge before you can walk on it, which means you have to make relationships with people when you don't want anything. Yes. Because if you make relationships with people only, only when, when you, you want, want things, yeah. that's not a good look. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't feel good. And so that that's a big part of it for me. The last thing, I'm so glad you used the bridge analogy because I think you have to build it before you can walk on it. And you, you also should not burn it to the ground. And yeah. I'm going to yeah. say for for this, uh, for the person who asked this question, you know, they were saying that it feels like there's animosity between some of the practice owners. And I will say the the point, like part of why it matters to build collaboration and play nice with our competition is because veterinary medicine is smaller than the smallest community. <laughs> like we are closer than six degrees of Kevin Bacon, you guys. The, the reality is, is everybody is connected to uh, somebody else, in, especially in small towns. Um, and and that is important. Like when you burn those those bridges, man, it is spectacularly flaming. And and you don't you don't want to do it. And so even if you don't you don't like the person on a personal level or you don't yeah. like their medicine or the way that they run their practice, there is still benefit in being professionals and looking at it as these are our colleagues and we should be able to have relationships. We should be able to come together and share things, whether it's, uh, you know, the the vets getting together in having radiology rounds and talking about cases or doing case rounds together. Those are things that you get the automatic benefit when you're in corporate practice. You know, we had lots of, I had went through a period where I had a bunch of new grads and have enough experienced doctors to help train them. But collaboratively in our local area, there was plenty of mentorship available and the ability to send one of my new grads to participate in, you know, case rounds or radiology rounds with another clinic was a huge benefit. That doesn't have to only exist in corporate medicine. I, my very first practice that I participated in veterinary medicine at was a small town. There was three vets in town. We literally were all on the same, on the same road, one at each end of town and one in the middle. And those, they are all private practices. And those vets got together once a month and did radiology rounds so that they could help pick each other's brains and pick apart the experience that comes. We had one vet who was older and who was very experienced. And those younger vets got to take advantage of picking his brain and the medicine that he had seen in his career, right? And it wasn't that they they weren't looking at each other like competition. They were looking at how can we how can we help each other and how can we grow and get that without having to go, you know, call up a boarded radiologist or, you know, go to go to a CE that's two hours away. We leaned into the local community. And I think that that's something that a lot of people often think about it solely as a benefit of 
corporate practice and something that we can can't do. And you know, this is where I would be happy if somebody said, "But Stephanie Goss told me I can." <laughs> <laughs> you do not just have to be in corporate practice to make this happen. You can make it happen in, in private practice. And I think the the why it matters and why I love this question is because you can do it on your own. Like you, this is where you can lead the charge from within the team. Now, obviously, if your practice owner is not on board, you might not to get to go on the clock and meet with other practice managers for lunch once a month. Like that might be off the table. Right. But there's nothing stopping you from saying, hey, we're going to get together once a month in the evening and talk about what's going on in our practices and you know, pick each other's brains about some things. There is nothing stopping you from furthering yourself from a professional development perspective. And I will tell you that like the fact that veterinarian veterinary medicine is so small and it is such a close-knit community, like I can't tell you how many times that kind of networking and remembering the fact that I don't want to burn those bridges has really been helpful and impactful in terms of my career and growing growing myself. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. You know, I, I think um, I've just benefited throughout my career from my connections more than anything. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's people, to, uh, it's people who show me what's possible. Yeah. It's people who talk about what they're doing and I go, I didn't realize you could do that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I've just... I've just had so many beneficial conversations. And it's also people opening doors for me and people saying, hey, there's an opportunity for there. Uh, I know this person who is unhappy where they are and they're looking for another place to go and your practice is uh, a happy practice and has good culture. And I thought maybe they might be uh, happy. Would you like to talk to them? Yeah. And those things don't happen if you live in a silo and people don't know you. There's just, there's so many of those little benefits. The one thing that I want to say is... um, you know, you can be connected and you can benefit from connections and you can talk to a lot of people and still maintain some level of confidentiality for your practice. Oh, yeah. And I think I think that that's important because I do think I can imagine business owners saying, Andy and Stephanie are saying, you can just go and tell them everything that's going on in your practice. And I'm like, that's not that's not what we're saying. There's right. some common sense to it about what you can share. Sure. But but um. You know, in general, if you you can avoid you can avoid sharing details that would uh, you know be damaging to other people's reputations or make them feel bad, you know, or uh, would make your practice owners uncomfortable or uh, things like that. Like that's not hard to do. To speak in terms where you say, "I want to protect people's privacy," yeah, and I still want to have these relationships. Yeah, those things are totally manageable. You just have to think about it and then be intentional about the questions that you ask and how you engage. Yeah. And I think the last question that got asked um, uh, by the person who reached out was, um, you know, what kind of where do I start? And and I think, um, you know, you can you can want like you can want the end goal to be we I would love to have a local area managers group. And I think that's a fantastic goal. (laughs) And I'm a huge advocate for that. And I ran our local one for years didn't start out that way. (laughs) It started as a group of people who were like, let's get together for lunch. And it was a one-time thing. And then it was like, guys, this was so fun. Like, let's do it again. And it very quickly became a once a month thing. And then we started having some structure. And then we started talking about like, could we tie some CE to this? And could we get some speakers to come and talk to us? And it grew from there, but it didn't start there. And and if you want to start there, if that's your end goal, that's great too. It doesn't have to be giant. You don't have to overbuild it. Like it can start with, let's 
go have a cup of coffee. Let's go have lunch. Let's have dinner. Right. And let's just pick each other's brain. It doesn't have to be a big thing. You can start small. Yeah. I like it. All right, cool. I think that's great. I think that's uh, I think that's some good, uh, hopefully that's good insight for people. Hopefully it gives people some permission they need to start to make those, uh, to make those connections and to start to grow their network. Yeah, I like it. Uh, this is clear, clearly my jam. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool, guys. <laughs> All, right, All right, have man. a great week, everybody. Take care, everybody. Well, everyone, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in again this week. As always, we love spending time with you. And before we go, I just wanted to say I am getting so excited to head to Greenville in just a few short weeks. We will be there for our Practice Owner Summit, which is happening December 8th through 10th. This is a giant, giant thank you. Shout out to our sponsors for helping make this event happen. This is one of my favorite events of the whole year. It is so much fun. If you are going to be there, I can't wait to see your face. I have all the hugs for everybody, including our sponsor friends. And so I just want to shout out and say thanks to Royal Canaan, Hills, Care Credit, IT Guru, and Kronos for making this event happen. Take care, everyone. Have a fantastic week. Be kind. And we'll talk to you again soon.